Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, I. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. And welcome to my office on the third floor, CBS Bureau here in Washington, D.C. Let me set the scene for our guest this week. Former Republican Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. We didn't do the interview here. We did it in Riva, Maryland, if you're keeping track at home. That's just outside of Annapolis. Mike's Restaurant and Crab House on the South River. We did this on a bright, sunny day. You'll see the governor wearing sunglasses. Eventually, I follow suit because it was just too bright to take. Now, why Larry Hogan? He's not running for president, at least not yet. Not running for U.S. Senate. No longer a governor. Doesn't like Trump very much. What's the point? Well... Larry Hogan is talked about with some frequency as possibly running on a third-party so-called unity ticket if, in fact, the Democrats nominate President Biden and Republicans nominate former President Trump. So we started our conversation there. What are or aren't Larry Hogan's actual political intentions and why they may or may not matter? Our conversation with Larry Hogan here on The Takeout. Governor Hogan, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you. So... Is it absolutely clear in your mind you will not seek the Republican nomination for the presidency in 2024? Uh, you know, I made that decision. It was a tough decision, but uh, I, I think it was the right one. And you're not going to revisit that decision. That's final. That's final. Would you seek the nomination in collaboration with the no labels ticket? Well, look, I think, uh, you know, there's been an awful lot of uh, people kind of attacking that effort, but you just don't know. Right now, there are about 70 percent of the people in America uh, do not want Joe Biden or Donald Trump to be president. Uh, they don't want a rematch of 2020. And yet that appears, if the election, the nominations were uh, taking place today, that that would be the case. And so if, uh, if two-thirds of the people in the country really don't want either one of choice A or choice B, then I don't think you can close the door to, to C, which would be a unity ticket, uh, put up someone else. And it's never happened before. It's never been successful. It's not something I'm pursuing but it's, it's, uh, you've got to leave the door open in case of emergency, break glass. Would you be at the top of that ticket? I mean, I think there are certainly a lot of people that would feel that I'd be uh, a potential person. How do you feel about it? Um, I, I think it's a long way off, and my efforts right now are trying to stop Donald Trump from being the Republican nominee, and I'm hoping that one of, one of my friends will be able to beat him, and then I can get behind them. You know why I ask, because it is often in the no labels conversation suggested that Joe Manchin and Larry Hogan would be the dream ticket, quote unquote, and you would be the vice presidential candidate. Well, I'm not sure that would ever happen. Because? Uh, 
I mean, it's, that, that's probably not something that's uh, going to be appealing to me. I mean, look, I, I, okay. I, I think Joe Manchin is a, is a good guy, and he, I consider him a friend. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I would be Joe Manchin's running mate. Okay. Would you be anyone's running mate? Probably not. Okay. I think we've gotten an answer <laughs> then. All right. You mentioned a moment ago that if the nominations were propounded today, it would be Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Do you think that's how it's going to end up? Well, you know, I think... Uh, what does your gut tell you? Well, we have about 10 months until we start to see these primaries, and I guess we may have a feel for it by Super Tuesday. Um, a year or 10 months is an eternity in politics, as you know, so things can change dramatically. I mean, I was saying if it, if it happened today, that would be the case. I'm starting to worry that that could be the case, uh, but I'm not ready to give up yet. I'm, I'm still hoping that we can... Uh, we can do a better job and nominate somebody and move forward from Donald Trump. Because two things can be true and have been in the past. Sometimes politics are static and sometimes they are turbulent. The static argument is, well, Biden's the president. He has no real formidable front runner challenge. Trump's the front runner despite indictments and all other things. The static orientation to that is what is now will be. Is that 50 percent, 75 percent, 90 percent? Well, I, I can't really give a percentage, but uh, look, if you, if you go back to the 2016 election, at this point in time, everyone thought that either Scott Walker or Jeb Bush were going to be the nominee. Donald Trump was at 1 percent or less than 1 percent. So it dramatically changed. Um, you know, Joe Biden was not expected to be the, the Democratic nominee. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, there were people that uh, were counting him out. And he came back and was a nominee. So I think the same thing could happen this time. Someone we're not even expecting could rise up. But uh, conversely, uh, we could be stuck with, you know, two unacceptable candidates that uh, the overwhelming majority of America doesn't want. In your mind, of those two unacceptable candidates, which is more unacceptable? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, look, I think, uh, I think Trump has obviously uh, disqualified himself from being president. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't support him in the last two elections and don't think he should be anywhere near the White House again. Uh, I also don't think that Joe Biden is uh, at this point, with all due respect, I don't, I'm not sure he's uh, capable enough to be the leader of the free world. And um, he's uh, he's got some strong issues. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, his slogan should be don't believe your lying eyes. I mean, a, a majority of Democrats don't believe he should be the nominee and don't think he should be the president. Governor, when you say Joe Biden doesn't have the capabilities, do you mean physical and intellectual or do you mean ideological? Uh, you know, I just think, um, and I hate to say that because I don't want to be critical and I want, you know, I want the president to be successful, but I do believe he's, he's diminished. He's not the same Joe Biden he used to be. And we've seen it. We've all seen, uh, you know, the gaps and the stumbling uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's 80 years old. He's, he's, he, I think he and Trump are both, you know, Perhaps they're, they, they'd be the two oldest presidents in history, and, you know, we might need somebody a little bit younger. One last thing on politics. Have you ruled out definitively seeking the Republican senatorial nomination in 2024? I have. Um, you know, I just... Uh, nothing could change your mind. Nothing can change my mind. Okay. Um, do me a favor. Sketch out a zany scenario for 2024 so it's not biden it's not trump yeah what do you think could happen project uh, you know on the democratic side i mean this is certainly possible i don't i'm not predicting that this would happen but at some point uh some people that care about joe biden could sit down with him perhaps his wife and his sister is is uh, is you know close friends could say you know maybe you know, just take uh you know take the wins that you had in your first term and you know, let's ride off into the sunset and let somebody come in. So it's possible there could be a different nominee. Almost sounds like an intervention. Uh, almost like an intervention. Uh, on the Republican side... Okay, uh, but wait, yeah. before you get to the Republican <laughs> side, so that happens, then what do you see? Play your scenario out, zany or otherwise. Is it Gavin Newsom? Is it Kamala Harris? Is it somebody else? I think Kamala Harris has a hard time getting the nomination. Even uh, though she's the sitting vice president. I think she's uh, got 20-something percent approval rating, which is lower than Biden, which is in the 30s. Biden and Trump both are in the 30s. Kamala is the only one, I think, lower than that. Uh, I think it would uh, potentially be uh, one of my former colleagues, uh, one of the uh, Democratic governors could step up, and it could be Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, could be Gavin Newsom, could be 
Murphy in New Jersey. I'm one of those folks could rise up. Uh, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but that's you said give me a scenario where it's possible. On the Republican side, somebody rises up and really overperforms that we're not right now Trump is really getting all of the attention and all anyone's focused on are the indictments and the crazy things that are going on, the drama. It's it's hard for anyone to get traction, but at some point if Trump does start to be diminished and somebody starts to catch fire with the right message that has a positive hopeful message for America, us, you know, we could potentially have a different nominee. I have six former colleagues that I served with that are running, six governors. I mean, you know, it's a it's a bit of a crowded, you know, it's now it's the Trump circus and the clown car with 11 or 12 others, but it's not going to be like that. It's going to hopefully start to narrow and we'll start to see if somebody steps up. As you might imagine, Larry Hogan spending some of his time paying attention to others who are in the political arena. And we had a long conversation, which I want to set up now, that will begin our segment two conversation about, no, 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 not former President Trump. We'll get to that, I promise you. But by the current second Republican running for the nomination in 2024, current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And you will discover Larry Hogan thinks he has not worn well and may not wear well. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to The Takeout. You know, we did this interview with Governor Hogan, former Governor Hogan, continuously. We didn't shoot it as if it were a takeout episode. That's why we're doing these ins and outs. That's what we call them in the trade here for my office, third floor, Washington, D.C. Bureau of CBS. As I indicated, in this segment, right away, you're going to hear him talk about whether Ron DeSantis has gotten off to a good or poor start in the Republican field. But we also talk about things central to the future of the Republican Party, like election denialism, like courage, where it comes to evaluating whether or not former President Trump should or should not be the Republican nominee, and if not, why not? All that coming up, but first, an appraisal from Larry Hogan about Ron DeSantis. As you look at the Republican field, Governor, evaluate Ron DeSantis so far. I think DeSantis has really underperformed. You know, he started out and we've seen this happen before in other races, but he was the one getting all the attention. He was wall-to-wall coverage on Fox News. He was the only one other than Trump that uh, was, was really getting a lot of attention. He raised a ton of money. Um, he was a fairly successful governor in a big state who got reelected. And then uh, he started uh, you know, making all kinds of mistakes. I think the campaign is one of the one of the worst I've seen so far, and uh, he's dropped like a rock. And so I think people started to say, well, maybe we're willing to consider someone other than Trump. They took a look at uh, Ron DeSantis and then went back to Trump. So he, I think he dropped 18, 20 points in the polls, and now you're seeing other people rise up. And uh, you know, there were a whole bunch of people stuck in single digits. I was one of them. We were all statistically you know, within the margin of error of each other. There were seven or eight different people. Uh, 
one of them, I think, has a chance to surpass uh, Ron DeSantis. Is it over for DeSantis? I think it's getting close to being over. I mean, you can always, you know, you see comebacks. John McCain pulled a comeback and Bill Clinton pulled a comeback. But at this point, he's headed in the wrong direction. And if you were to describe the central mistake he made, what would it be? You know, I think the uh, the, the, the culture wars, the, the dumb comments about Ukraine, uh, the fact that he, you know, he's got some, he's got some uh, strengths. But he's also got some weaknesses. I mean, he's, he just doesn't connect with people. He's not a good campaigner. He's not a good debater. Uh, he's a smart guy. Uh, went to Yale and Harvard. Uh, doesn't lead with that. Yeah, he doesn't lead with that. Uh, yeah, he says he went to school in the Northeast somewhere. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, everybody was thinking he was the guy to beat, and now I don't think too many people think that. How about Chris Christie? He's Chris, a friend Chris, of yours, I know. Chris Christie's a good friend. I think he overperformed or overperformed expectations on his announcement. He now uh, shot into at least in New Hampshire third place. It's you know it's a tough campaign, and I you know I think uh, he's got real skills though, and I think I'm I'm proud of Christie because he seems to be the only one that's willing to take on Trump directly, uh, which is what I've been doing for years. Uh, the other ones seem to be enablers that are just making excuses for Trump. And I mean, how do you make the argument that you should be the nominee when all you do is say nice things about the guy that's you know 50 points ahead of you? You can't. Yeah, you can't. I mean, yet they're not pattern. making the case for why we should go in a different direction. Christie is trying to make that case. And that pattern continues. Yeah. What does that tell you about these others in the race, not named Chris Christie. I think, I think well, I, I mean, Asa Hutchinson, also one of my other former colleagues, the two of them that are both former U.S. attorneys and prosecutors, they've been, they've been standing up on the indictment uh, stuff. I mean, they're, they're taking it more seriously and being, are willing to speak out more than any of the others. Uh, but the rest of them are, don't have any, any, any courage. They're afraid to, to speak out. That's been the problem. I mean, I've been speaking out from the day he came down the escalator, and there, aren't, there weren't too many people standing there with me. Uh, some of them would say privately they agreed with almost everything I was saying. However, many, they're afraid to say it. Many would say that to you privately. Yeah, well, nearly all of them. I mean, most of my gubernatorial colleagues, a bunch of senators and congressmen, they were like, oh, you know, hey, Larry, we appreciate what you're saying. Well, I can't say it, but I'm glad you are. And I would be like, why can't you say it? Or they would say, oh, yeah, I'm really behind you. I was like, well, it seems like you're way behind me. I don't see you standing right here. Uh, Is courage the central defect of the modern Republican Party? I think uh, you know Trump has co-opted the Republican Party, and people are in lockstep. I mean, certainly some people uh, just you know believe in his message and think he's a great guy, but many of them are uh, you know are just like I can't say anything bad about him. I can't tell the truth about him uh, because it's going to hurt me politically. And uh, you know, I think sometimes you got to put the country first and not worry about your own political future or what the political party says you have to do. I want to ask you about denialism and elections in the Republican Party. You experienced it here in Maryland. You had a favorite candidate to succeed you. That candidate lost to another candidate named Dan Cox in the Republican gubernatorial primary. Dan Cox was and remains an election denier. That was true in Pennsylvania, it was true in Wisconsin, it was true in Michigan, it was true in Nevada, it was true in Arizona. You know what I'm going with, yeah. all, all of those are losses. Yeah. Conspicuous losses. Now, it's not clear that your preferred successor would have won the governor's race. Westmore right. was a very capable, right. competent candidate, may have won anyway. But I want your assessment of where the Republican Party is on this question of elections and denialism. Well, I think it's a disaster. Uh, I mean, this is the worst performance for the Republican Party uh, it's, it, it, we perform worse than we did after Watergate. We, for, from the time Trump was elected, we, all we did was lose. You know, he, he kept saying, you know, uh, we're going to be winning so much, we're going to get tired of winning, but all we've done is lose. We lost the White House, we lost the Senate, we lost the House. In this last election, we underperformed. It should have been a huge year. We should have picked up Senate seat, taken the Senate back. We should have picked up 40 House seats. We should have picked up governor's seats. We just didn't do that because instead of nominating people that were focused on the issues like the economy, like crime in our cities and keeping people safe and talking about you know, improving uh, their kids' education, we had people that were denying you know, the, the election. They were, it was conspiracy theorists. The guy in Maryland who Trump endorsed and who was supported by millions of dollars of investment by the Democratic Governors Association because they wanted him 
they wanted to pick the Republican nominee, he was a he was a whack job. I mean, the guy was uh, talk, you know, he was cheering on the the hanging of Mike Pence, and he was calling him a traitor. He took busloads of people to January sixth. I mean, it's embarrassing that these people got got one primaries around the country, and they were all wiped out in in Maryland. Uh, you know, I ran forty five points ahead of Donald Trump, but this last gubernatorial nominee, um, you know, got blown out by thirty three points. Is your problem with denialism that it's bad tactically or that it's bad morally? Well, it's both. It's bad morally, but it's also a sure way to lose elections. Um, you know, we have to we have to be talking about the issues people care about, and we have to convince enough people to cross over you know, to our side to say we have the best ideas and the best candidates, or we're never going to be a governing party. But on, from a moral standpoint, um, you know, I I was you know I sent. Uh, Immediately after the election, I told Trump to, you know, stop golfing and concede. Uh, you know, uh, after, you know, on January 6th, I sent Maryland State Police and the Maryland National Guard to protect the nation's capital. I had a press conference the next day and said he should step aside and let Mike Pence continue to, you know, carry out the remainder of the transition until Joe, Joe Biden was sworn in. I mean, very few people, you know, the, the fact that we, we pretend like nothing happened on January 6th and we keep harping about and relitigating the, the stolen election, it's absurd, and uh, we're going to continue to lose if that's all they keep talking about. So as we head to the break, when we come back, we're going to talk to Larry Hogan about something uh, that DeSantis talks about a lot. Wokeism, and what does that mean? What does America need to talk about, should talk about, as it wrestles with its past? Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to The Takeout. In addition to our conversation about wokeism, we also asked Larry Hogan, former Republican Maryland governor, about someone named Roy McGrath. Not a household name, but definitely a name well-known in Maryland politics. For a short period of time, Roy McGrath was Governor Hogan's chief of staff. He'd known Roy for many, many years. He'd been a volunteer and around his campaigns in politics in Maryland for a long time. Then he was charged with a lot of serious crimes and ethical violations. He was supposed to go to trial. Governor Hogan, as you will hear, was supposed to be a prosecution witness. Then Roy McGrath went missing, and then he ended up dying in a confrontation with the FBI. Details of that death still unknown, at least fully, to Governor Hogan. We talk about that as well here on The Takeout. Roy McGrath. What do you know about the circumstances of his death? Only what we uh, we've heard about in the media, and I don't. The FBI has not briefed you privately. They have not briefed me. The the federal prosecutors or the state prosecutors haven't briefed me. Have you asked? Yeah, our our lawyers have reached out. They they, it's an FBI investigation that's still ongoing. I I have no details on what happened. I mean, it's a tragic situation. I mean, this guy certainly made some serious mistakes in his life, but uh, no one wanted to see it end in, in such a tragedy, and we still don't know the facts of it. You knew him well. I knew him pretty well. I mean, he was our my chief of staff for 10 weeks or so, but I, I he, but he, he was a volunteer in my campaign, campaign like years ago. Yeah. In the early 90s. Yeah. Lawyers for Hogan and everything else? Well, I mean, he was a volunteer in my race for governor in 2014. I hadn't really talked to him in 30 years after he was a he was a young guy. He was active in young Republicans. He was a chairman of a Republican Central Committee. He was a he was a bureaucrat who was a smart guy, and for all, by all accounts, did a good job for seven years. And then I'm not sure what happened in his life to get him off track. But uh, nobody certainly wanted it at the end like that. 
How much did you know about what he was accused of? Well, we heard all of it. It was 37 different uh, counts. There was a three-year investigation by the legislature, by the state prosecutors and the federal prosecutors. So we, we ended up learning quite a bit about it. But, uh, uh, you know, didn't know any of it before we, you know, put him in the job of uh, chief of staff. Mm -hmm. And when you heard that he had not shown up for trial and was essentially a fugitive, what was your reaction? I think we were concerned. I, you know, I was, uh, I was scheduled to testify for the prosecution. Uh, along with uh, most of the people in our administration, I mean, we all expected him to be there. Uh, and you know, immediately, I think uh, you know some of our uh, you know people that 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 uh, our, our lawyers and the people involved in the case uh, were were pretty concerned about somebody that would uh, you know take off. It's not a good sign, uh, and it it tragically ended up kind of the the worst way that kind of people's uh, were their the worst fears became realized. And when you think about it and use the word tragedy, what's the essence of the tragedy? Well, the tragedy is that, uh, you know, a, a man's lost his life. And uh, in spite of the fact that he, you know, apparently made some pretty serious mistakes and, uh, you know, got into some trouble and, uh, yeah, but the fact not showing up for trial and then, you know, potentially, I don't, we don't know at this point if it was suicide or suicide by cop or what, you know, what the circumstances are, because, you can't speculate until they finish their report. And the FBI, you know, traditionally takes a long time to do these reports. And as you know, people in politics, if they think you're a nasty person and you get off the track, they'll jump on you and say you're a nasty person. I didn't read many stories that said that about him. Yeah, no, everybody was pretty surprised. He just seemed like kind of a quiet, uh, you know, smart, hardworking guy. Nobody said, hey, one day that guy's going to, do something nutty. It's, it's sort of like one of those things where you're watching a, a, a thing on uh, television. And you go, I never would have imagined he's the last person we would have thought. <laughs> it's one of those cases. Quintessential plot twist. Yeah. Did it hit you hard? It did. I mean, we uh, we were, you know, there were, this has been going on for a long time with this case, and we we're, you know, frustrated and concerned and a little angry about, you know, some of the wrongdoing. I mean, I was a victim in the case where, you know, they was doing illegal recordings and all kinds of... Fabricated uh, you know, a document from you? Yeah, I mean, there was just, you know, there were... It was a, it was a huge number of federal and state charges, all of which were kind of shocking and uh, frustrating. I certainly got a lot of bad publicity after three years about it because of, uh, you know, the, a former chief of staff, who, even though he's only there for a couple months, uh, you know, that, that got in all this trouble. But... It was still sad, nonetheless, to see, you know, a guy that, uh, that had a once promising life uh, kind of spiral out of control and end with a tragic death. So we're talking on Juneteenth. You mentioned a moment ago uh, in regards to Governor DeSantis dipping into the culture wars. He talks about Florida as a place where woke goes to die. And as you well know, in Republican circles, that's a applause line, wokeism and anti-wokeism. But on Juneteenth, across the country, and in other ways, we are having a deeper, more meaningful, more exploratory, and in some cases, more difficult conversation about the lived history of this country. Is that wokeism, and is that dangerous? Well, I'm not sure what wokeism is. I've never, what do you think I've never used the, the term. I, I mean, it's all DeSantis seems to want to talk about, and I think that's part of the reason why his campaign is... Uh, doing as badly as it is or, you know, underperforming expectations as much as it is. And, you know, we actually did polling uh, when I was considering the race. And, you know, mo the average uh, Republican doesn't, didn't even know what wokeism meant. Uh, they didn't know why, you know, he kept talking about, you know, where woke goes to die. Um, yeah, I think it's, I said earlier, I think just uh, focusing on uh, all, just, just uh, culture wars is not the way to go about it. Certainly appeals to a, a segment of the base, but it's not the way all Republicans think. Is it important for our country to delve into this history differently than we have in the past? I think we've got to be uh, we've got to delve into our history and tell all the all the facts, warts and all. And, uh, and there are a lot of warts sure that we've that we've sort of ignored over the right, years. Well, there's no question about that. But we're also, uh, you know, still the greatest. In spite of our flaws, the greatest nation on earth. People still yearn to come here to become Americans, and we've made so much progress with respect to, you know, Black Americans. I mean, you know, the fact that uh, we had a, a Black president of the United States, the fact that we've now got, you know, uh, candidates on the Republican side that are minorities that are running that might have a real shot at being president. Um, 
but obviously we've got more to do. Mm -hmm. So you haven't had any uh, asylum seekers or refugees dropped in buses in Maryland, but they've been dropped in the District of Columbia, they've been dropped in New York, they've been dropped in Martha's Vineyard. This has been going on around you. Evaluate Larry Hogan's perspective on immigration, the way it's debated in the Republican Party, and the way President Biden has handled it or mishandled it. Well, I think that, uh, you know, we need a secure border, and uh, President Biden has mishandled that. And I think we, we, the, the messaging on we've got to secure the border is overwhelmingly popular with Republicans, independents, and Democrats. And I think, the, the, you know, the, some Democrats, not all, were just talking about open borders. That's not, that's a tiny uh, minority of folks that agree with that position. Um, they do want us to secure the border and find a path to citizenship. And so we can't, this is one of those things where we talk past each other and Republicans and Democrats can't, can't ever come to terms, but we need to. We need to address both. We have to address the people that are already here. We have to give people opportunity. Uh, but we've also got to stop illegal immigration across the border, which the Biden administration has done a terrible job of. Um, I was very much opposed to some of those actions that you just mentioned about, you know, Ron DeSantis, as an example, went to use Florida taxpayers' money to basically kidnap people in Texas and take them to Martha's Vineyard. I criticized them immediately and said it was a publicity stunt that wasn't going to do anything to solve Is there something the inherently the cruel about that? I think it was it was cruel, but it was also just uh, cynical uh, because he wasn't really sol solving any problems at the border, he was just trying to get attention, and uh, you know, to, uh, the, yeah, I, I did, thought it was a, not a, the right thing to do. I also uh, asked some of my gubernatorial colleagues, uh, not you know, at a, at a you know, and we're sitting around with some Republican governors who were dropping people off in Washington D.C., and I said, you know, we don't have a, a wall around you know, Washington, D.C., between Maryland and Virginia either. So you're dropping people in that are now, you know, we don't know who, when they're coming or how, you know, we may have to be providing services and taking care of people. And, you know, it's uh, it's just not the way, you know, I understand the frustrations of the border states. I understand the frustrations of people saying that, you know, we've got to do something about the problem. But these seem like more like just actions that people are taking to get get on television, and I was like, are they performative? Yeah, they're very. You know, I think, uh, you know, I've I've talked about performative politics being a problem. Uh, that's a perfect example of it. As we head to segment four with Larry Hogan, we're going to talk to him on that side of the break about something that is endlessly fascinating to me: Chat GPT, artificial intelligence, and a little bit more presidential politics. When we come back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to The Takeout, and I do really hope you're enjoying the dual sunglasses look there at Mike's Crab House and Restaurant. Reva, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis, Maryland, which, we, which is where we found former Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan. And as I said before we went to break, I'm endlessly fascinated by this conversation going on in all quarters, not just Washington, but capitals all over the world, and finance, elsewhere. What is the future of artificial intelligence. What should that future be? Should we be alarmed about it? Should we be as alarmed as some people who are in the industry are alarmed about it, its implications, how fast it's moving, all of that. Plus some presidential politics with Larry Hogan. Do you use ChatGPT or anything like it for your speeches or anything you're working on? I don't. Uh, are but you familiar with it? I'm familiar with it. In fact, one of my staffers, just to show me how it worked, uh, just put in, should Governor Hogan run, Larry Hogan run for president? And the chat GPT did a thorough analysis of 
well, he's the most popular governor in America. He's a, twice elected in the bluest state in the country, blah, blah, blah. However, the path through the Republican primary is difficult, and it was laid out this whole pros and cons. And I was like, what do I need you guys for? I mean, we should just use this. And what was the answer? <laughs> yeah, I, I, the answer was no. I, yeah. Well, right? no, it, did, it was basically, it was like, you know, I didn't make the decision based on it. But it weighed the pros and cons and said he'd be a great general election candidate because he gets over, you know, 70% approval with Democrats, independents, and Republicans, white and black, young and old. No other candidate. However, this path was nearly impossible <laughs> to go through the uh, MAGA primary. So it was kind of an impressive synthesis. It was. It was kind of like this, almost like the analysis I went through myself. <laughs> so that brings me to my next question. How much, as a citizen, as a former governor, as someone who interacts with business people all over the country and possibly all over the world, how afraid of you are, how afraid of artificial intelligence are you? I, you know, I'm concerned about it. I think it has the potential for so much good, uh, but like with anything else, there's uh, the potential for evil. Okay, but and that sounds like a, that sounds like a very comfortable answer. And well, many I, people who I've read said this is not like anything else. This yeah, no, is a quantum and well, quantum is different than AI, but yeah, they're both they're both major steps leap. forward. Meaning, yeah, meaning, it's, major leap. Yep, it's it's exponential, and yep. it's going to move much more rapidly than people assume. I agree with that. I think it's uh, it's pretty scary, and I don't claim to be an AI expert, but I'm talking with a lot of people. Some people are saying we're going to make major discoveries as a result of this, and and in medicine and other fields, and we're going to we're going to jump ahead in many ways, like like we did with you know the invention of the the onset of the internet. Uh, it's going to be a whole new thing. However, this one, uh, you know, is going to be very disruptive and it's potentially going to put a, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of real concerns out there. Do you have any fears that have cropped up in earlier movies that have ventured into this space that once the machines get smart enough, they're going to look around and say the most invasive species on this planet are human beings? And take well, us out? I think most of the machines are already smarter than I am, but I, I'm not sure what, when they're going to take us out. I mean, that's, uh, it's, uh, I'm sure there's going to be some good movies about it, though. No doubt. Um, what do you make of Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign against Biden? I think it's interesting that he's already, uh, even though, you know, I don't, I don't know that he has a great message and his focus has been kind of an anti-vaxxer guy. Uh, he obviously has a name ID, uh, but not an environmental history. An environmental history. I mean, he's not. He wasn't seen by many people as uh, a candidate that should be taken that seriously. But he's got more than twenty percent, which goes back to my point about Joe Biden. Uh, I think fifty-eight percent of the likely Democratic primary voters do not want Biden to be the nominee. And if someone stronger than uh, than Kennedy was to be in the race, they might be doing better than that. You talked about some Democratic governors. Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, Governor Murphy. Who do you think would give the Republican nominee the hardest go? I, I really don't, I can't really speculate. I mean, I know all of them. I, I was chairman of the National Governors Association. I know all the Republican governors running. I know all the potential Democratic governors. And, you know, it's hard to play the race until you run the race. You know, it's hard to guess. But I, I just happen to believe that, uh, and I believe this on the Republican side, I think governors have the right experience to be in an executive capacity, not to take anything away from people that serve in Congress or, uh, you know, somewhere else. But I mean, it really is the only real training ground. You, 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 have, you have to govern. You make real decisions every day that impact people's lives. You have, uh, you know, you're running an executive branch of government. If Trump is the nominee, will he do worse in 2020, uh, 2024 than he did in 2020? Uh, I, I would, Meaning, know, is there I would any say state probably, lost, but not if Joe win. Biden continues to weaken and he's the Democratic nominee. I mean, it's uh, so you think Trump could beat Biden? I, I think it's possible. I mean, he's the Trump is the only one, I think, in America that Joe Biden could have beaten and did. And we know already that he has beaten him and can beat him. However, uh, and with all of Trump's troubles, I you still can't count him out because Biden is weakened. I mean, they're both somewhere like 30 percent approval. How do you how do you account for that? I don't know. Most, most people in America don't want either one. They're going to have to pick A or B unless there's a C. Finish this sentence for me. For a likely Republican primary and caucus voter, the Trump indictment should mean this to you. I, you know, for the, the, the and I'm talking about the documents indictment. 
you know, for, for me, I think, uh, well, first of all, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Uh, these are charges that, that are very, very serious. I don't think, you know, and I understand the frustrations of Republican-based voters who uh, really think there may have been uh, overzealous, uh, you know, prosecution of Trump, that the weaponization of the Justice Department, all of that, some of that, those are legitimate concerns that should be debated. However, uh, you can't then turn around and say, but we don't want to look at any of the facts uh, of very serious charges. So, you know, we've got to get to the facts. And uh, I, 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 if anyone who willingly compromised, potentially compromised national security is, uh, is unfit to be president, I mean, full stop, it, it's very clear. But, you know, we haven't proven that case yet. So, uh, but it's, it's troubling. And I think this may not be the last indictments. Uh, I don't think it's going to be resolved by the election either. Uh, I think they're going to drag it out beyond uh, you know, when we're choosing a nominee and when we're actually voting in November and potentially we still have the Georgia cases, the January 6th cases, he could have, you know, four different indictments going on in four different states and still be the nominee and still be elected president. It's possible. That would certainly qualify as a zany scenario. Well, it would, it would be a constitutional crisis. And then what? Well... Hopefully we don't get to that point. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that uh, maybe he's not the nominee or that, uh, you know, we don't uh, we don't get stuck with that kind of a choice. Do you think in the annals of Trump Republican history, those who did not vote to convict on the second impeachment will regret that vote more than any? You know, it's hard to say how history is going to remember uh, the entire. Do you think that would have solved this problem? Well, obviously it would have solved the, the problem, but, uh, you know, my dad was the, the first Republican to come out for the impeachment of Richard Nixon. At the time, uh, it was terrible for him politically. I mean, he was uh, criticized and attacked, uh, but he stood up and did the right thing for his country and uh, didn't do what was good for him politically, personally. Didn't, you know, was, was willing to stand up to the party. We, we haven't seen a whole lot of that courage to do the right thing. And I think we probably could use more people with the courage to put the country first. As you might know, Governor Hogan is a cancer survivor. In our takeout Outtake Especial, we're gonna to talk to him about his reflections. He's now cancer-free. Plus, as he looks around the world, what he considers the most important threats are to the United States and our allies. Stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to your takeout Outtake Especial. Thanks for finding us. I'm Major Garrett. Our conversation with Larry Hogan, former governor of Maryland, Republican, and some of you might know this, but some of you may not. Early on in his first term, Governor Hogan was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was an aggressive case. He fought aggressively against it while he was governor. He's now cancer-free, and I asked him to reflect on that entire arc of his life. Plus, give me a sense of what he thinks are the biggest threats facing the United States. That from Larry Hogan. What makes you most nervous about adversaries or enemies America may confront in the next two to five years? Well, I, you know, I think obviously China uh, is the... But what about China? I, I think that, that, that China is the biggest threat. I think probably, uh, you know, cyber is a huge threat. It's the thing uh, that I think was keeping me awake at night as governor. Uh, keeps other governors awake. I think it's keeping them awake. I think it's what, uh, 
you know, most of our, our, our lettered agencies are all focused on with the NSA and the CIA, FBI. If you ask them what's the number one threat, it's Russia, I mean, China and Russian disinformation and cyber threats that they can really do some damage. Mm-hmm. So when Republicans talk about things that don't function in this country, there are two issues. In addition to immigration, they pound on relentlessly. Homelessness and crime, which they project and tell the country are entirely democratic problems foisted on their citizens by soft on crime policies and a tolerance of those who live on the street and create public health menaces, etc. As governor and as someone who's spent a lot of time dealing with that issue, what are your thoughts on both crime and homelessness and how to confront them in this country going forward? Well, I think you've got to have a, a holistic approach, and I think... Uh, what does that mean? I think we've got to address uh, some of the root causes of both homelessness and crime, and we've got to invest more in our cities. We've got to provide people the, the help that they need, but we've also got to get tough on, on making sure we keep our community safe. It's not happening. In m- Most cities are Democratic-controlled, but you can't... It's not a Republican-Democrat thing. Look, but I... we I mean, did, Baltimore saw its police force shrink... After lots of criticism of uh, police tactics, the shrinking of the police department led to a higher crime rates, more violent crime. These things kind of have a pattern. There's no question about that. So, uh, you know, I was constantly at odds, although, you know, I was working in a bipartisan way to solve problems and get things done. There was a Baltimore City County Council, uh, City Council person that wanted to eliminate the police department. And the national narrative was defunding the police. And I was the first uh, elected leader in America to strongly speak out against it and said, you know, if you want to improve policing in our communities and you want to keep our neighborhoods safe, we've got to invest more money, not less. It's like saying you want to improve education by defunding the schools. I mean, if you want to pay for body cams and better training and teaching de-escalation techniques and better retention of quality officers and you want to attract a more diverse police force, we need more. That all requires more funding. So I started a refund the police initiative, put a half a billion more into policing, uh, a 50% increase in state aid to local police forces. I ran into opposition from city leaders, from legislators, we made a lot of progress, but they would not get tough on repeat violent offenders. On my 70% of my legislature was progressive Democrats, and uh, uh, eight years in a row we tried to get, you know, I passed the first criminal justice reform in America, which, you know, lowered the prison uh, sentences for things like possession, more money into mental health counseling and drug treatment that helped solve homelessness and crime, recidivism, retraining, reentry programs, Second Chance Act. However, repeat violent offenders that keep shooting people need to be held accountable and need to go to jail. And that's that's something that our prosecutors and our mayors and some of our legislators did not want to do. And that's where the Democrats are weakness, weak, weakest on these issues. And they that, won't get tough. And that's part of this historical narrative attributed to three strikes and you're out, meaning three felonies and you're a lifetime in prison. And the argument against that was some of the felonies were nonviolent and people were unfairly disproportionately African-American, disproportionately yeah. people of color, sentenced to life in prison. You're saying we can make a, dis- we can make a distinction. You Violent offenses distinction. Yeah. can and should be a distinction. Well, the average uh, person, and this with numbers may not be up to date today, but uh, a while back, the average person that was killed in Baltimore City, so there's a lot of gang violence back and forth. The average, pers- the average deceased person in Baltimore City had something like 13.2 arrests, and 3.4 convictions, you know, but they're all still on the streets shooting each other repeatedly. And we have people that have a long track record. They've been, they've been arrested for, you know, shootings, murders, and they're not, why are they still out on the streets able to do it again and again, you know? Before we let you go, you're, as we discussed before, on the other side of your cancer diagnosis. You're, according to your doctors, someone who doesn't have to come back and have another check. Explain that arc in your life, what it taught you. Well, so I had only been, you know, I was 89 days in when the riots broke out in Baltimore. 89 days in as governor. As governor, and then 60 days later I got diagnosed with potentially life-threatening cancer that had spread all over my body. Lymphoma. 
um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had 40 or 50 tumors all over my body. And I was literally 24 hour a day chemotherapy for months governing from the hospital bed. And so it was, um, it was a tough time, but I, I had incredible support and prayers from all over the state. But I learned, you know, I, I think I'm more, way more empathetic than I was. And I, I, I met incredible uh, patients and their families and saw what they were going through. And, that, and I dedicated myself to trying to help uh, help them and help people afflicted with cancer. And uh, we, we started a cancer moonshot initiative in Maryland, invested $230 million more, built, building a new cancer center in Prince George's County, right outside of Washington, building a, a new center in Baltimore, more money into research and uh, for childhood cancers. And uh, it, 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 I think it made me a better person. It wasn't, it wasn't the most fun thing to ever go through. How much pain were you in? It was it was tough. Uh, I mean, it was uh, it was pretty pretty tough. But I just kept working through it, and I saw people going through much tougher battles than my own, and I, especially the kids I got to meet in the pediatric oncology ward. And you know, it was uh, it was just a tough tough time. And I learned a lot, and I tell you, I'm still fighting there, that every day. There are those who say that had it not been for FDR being afflicted with polio, he wouldn't have been as empathetic a leader as he became. Yeah. Would you say your situation was slightly similar? I, yeah, I don't want to compare myself to FDR, but I, I think that uh, I did look at life differently. Um, you know, I appreciate every day that I have, and I, and I try to help everybody I can. Governor Hogan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.